Come on, isn't that a, isn't that a fun uh, prelude? Can't sleep through that one. Good morning, church and friends and guests. The Lord be with you. Today we gather after having been scattered through our various places in the community in the past week, and we begin a new week by gathering together and joining in one heart, one mind, one voice for worship this morning. Glad to be with you this morning, whether you're with us in person or online. I invite you to stand for our call to worship. We'll do so responsively with the words on the screen. They come to us from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Let's join together in worship. You are good, good. 
Friends, as we prepare to turn to God in prayer, I remind you of the concerns that are listed in our bulletin and offer a few updates as well. Uh, for Jane McCarty, it's been discovered that it's not a blood clot, but also cancer for her. And then Pam Reynolds uh, this weekend also received news of leukemia and has been put on to uh, hospice care. So with these concerns and others on your heart and mind, uh, and on behalf of our world, we turn to God in prayer. I'll pray some words on our behalf together, and we'll also weave it together with a song so that when the song swells, you're invited to join with the words on the screen and to sing together, and we begin in song. Let's pray together. of the whole universe, you who cast a whole light show with the sun and the moon and the stars, you who command streams and rivers and oceans, you who formed mountains and valleys and populated the earth with all manner of living things, please meet with us here in this place. We admit that life is different when we find ourselves in your presence. We who are concerned with the minutia of life. We who are so concerned with our small corner of the world that we fail to see the vastness of your creation and the magnificence of you, our creator. Truth be told, our scale is off and our perspective is often askew. So God, please give us insight on how to love and honor your creation 
and remind us of our place in it. As beloved children of the God of the universe, children who are loved, forgiven, freed up and called to be caretakers and good stewards. Let's sing together. Creator God, as we look on the ravages of nature, vast areas destroyed by flood or famine, by hurricane or earthquake, by drought or disease, help us to see you huddled down, sheltering, even tabernacling with your people who are sometimes homeless, hurting, doubting, and despairing. Help us also to see you and those who seek to help those in need, aid agencies of all types, and also in those who formulate policies to offer dignity, to rebuild communities, and to strengthen infrastructure. God, help us to see you in the scientists, in the doctors, in the teachers, and the engineers, and so many others who seek to bring order and healing to the world. And please make us ready to go where you are in the midst of a hurting world in need of rescue. Let's sing together. Heavenly Father, we pray today for people in this world that we do not know, for the countless names and faces of people who are suffering in the midst of grief and loss. We pray that we would learn from their resilience and their faith and so become all the more dedicated to you and your good purposes in the world. We pray also for all the people we do know, for the ones we know dearly, for those who occupy our hearts and minds, for the concerns listed in our bulletin, including the most recent news of Jane and Pam, for West Ottawa student Sam Smaldon and his delicate recovery from a car crash this past Tuesday, for all the hurts and hardships silently carried into and out of worship this morning, we pray, O oh God, for your redemptive intervention. And still, we pray with gratitude for your age-old promise to uphold, redeem, and transform us and all. And as we await the day when all is fully and finally made well, we continue to pray, Lord, have mercy. All God's people said, amen. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come to make right whatever is wrong in us and in the world. 
And because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have peace with God and peace with one another. So the peace of Christ be with you. Would you please stand and share a sign of Christ's peace with one another? The Lord be with you. My name is Tiara. I am one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, if you are new with us this morning, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, we would love to get to know you, and one of the ways that we can do that is by having you fill out one of these. It's a connection card. There's some in the back of the sanctuary, and there's also some at the Welcome Center, where there are also some really amazing, friendly people who would love to meet you and greet you by name and connect you and help you get connected here at Fellowship. Uh, so today is Kickoff Sunday, uh, and we are launching into a year of ministry together. Uh, we've got a really fun party planned immediately after the service, um, and on Wednesday nights, we begin our community nights. Yay. You can clap for community nights. <laughs> um, so there's a meal at Community Nights, there's um, discipleship programming for all ages at Community Nights, and we really do hope to see you there um, for fellowship and for fun. Uh, but to help us plan for food and for room assignments, it would be super helpful if you let us know you're coming. Uh, so in your bulletins, there's a QR code. Um, you can follow that to an RSVP link. Um, in addition to that, you can also find the link directly on our webpage on the event for Community Nights. You are certainly more than welcome to join us, even if you don't RSVP, and it would be helpful, it would help us a ton if you would let us know you're coming as soon as you know you're coming. Uh, so second, I have had the distinct privilege of joining a couple of our um, groups here at Fellowship, people who gather um, together um, as is and to find ways to belong and to grow and to serve. That's what our groups do here. They belong, they grow, they serve as the scattered church um, here at Fellowship. And so um, I would love to get to know more of our groups. I'd love to get to know more of the leaders of our groups. If you are leading a group here at Fellowship, I would love to connect with you at some point, maybe even join your group for, for a gathering. Uh, if you're leading a group here at Fellowship and you're open to people joining your group, I would love to connect with you to think about how we can help make your group a little bit more findable for people. Um, and if you're just interested in maybe starting a group this season, um, I would love to connect with you as well. So you can find me in the lobby, atrium, gallery, gym, anywhere in the church today. <laughs> uh, you can also reach out via text or email. And if you're older than a millennial and you like voice calls, you can even call. Yeah, that works too. Uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. Uh, lastly, before we dismiss our kiddos this morning, um, because today is kickoff Sunday, we would be remiss without acknowledging the countless, um, countless men and women in this church who join us in serving our kids and our students throughout the year. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, God's people are taught uh, these words, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart and recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. 
Here at Fellowship, our focus on developing faithful followers of Jesus extends to our children and our students. And one of the ways that we live into this part of our mission is through nursery and Sunday school and blast on Wednesday nights and middle school ministry and high school ministry. Uh, but it's not just the fellowship staff who live into this mission. There are tons of people, tons of leaders who lock arms with us throughout the year. And so if you're leading with us this season, would you stand, specifically the folks who are leading in nursery and Sunday school and blast on Wednesday nights, middle school, high school, if you could just stand, to, stand with us. Couple folks, there we go, yeah. <laughs> um, we would love to. Um, we would love to commission you this year um, and pray over you. And so, if you if you could stand back up, I know it's awkward, and I know people don't want to stand. I know. <laughs> Um, and if you are near them and you have their permission, just maybe extend your arm toward them or maybe place a hand on their hand uh, or their shoulder. Um, and would you just all, all of us join together in prayer over these amazing folks. Um, Heavenly Father, we are so immensely grateful for your gracious invitation to make disciples, teaching them to love God and others and to obey all that Christ teaches us. Today, we praise you specifically for the stirring of your spirit in our leaders the men and women who have made a commitment to lead with us in our kids' and students' ministries, men and women called by you to encourage and to care and to pray and to guide and to teach and to be an example of faithfulness and Christian witness. By your spirit, empower them to share the gospel with our children and students and grant them the time and energy and curiosity to study the scriptures and the enthusiasm to teach them and the deepest love from which to live them and the gentlest, most humble wisdom to offer counsel from them. And most of all, grant that all leaders and students alike be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus and equipped to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. May every grace of Christ's ministry rest upon them this year. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. 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 Have a seat. Um, so at this time, um, if our um, youths um, up through age grade, sorry, up through grade eight, uh, you can follow Miss Betsy on out of the sanctuary. Um, and with that, we will continue in worship. As Pastor Tierra mentioned, today is kickoff Sunday. Not only is it the beginning of our fall programming, it's the beginning of a new worship and sermon series. Um, you'll notice that the design on the bulletin cover has changed. Uh, it says between the lines and the gallery has been reset and is developing and will continue to develop throughout this season um, up through Advent. Um, we have a video that we've created to, to share with you um, as we kind of kick off this series and those of you who know me know I'm resisting the urge to over-explain it. So I just want you to take it in and wonder with us what it means to read between the lines and integrate our lives as people of faith.
Well, the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. How cool was it last week to worship outside? That was awesome. And I want to say a big thanks to Jess and the tech team that made that possible, not just for those of us gathered, but also for all of those that are worshiping online. Yeah, hip, hip, hooray. That was cool. We're, we were wishing for the same sort of weather today, but we'll still have our picnic indoors. But anyway, after the, the service last week, I was greeting some folks, and Jerry and Cindy Skur happened to mosey on over, and we were talking a little bit about the week and the day, and then uh, they said to me, in Jerry's uh, kind of typical thoughtful and compassionate way, he turned and he said, how are you doing, Pastor Nate? And I said, well, you know, Jerry, I, I kind of like the month of September. It's arguably one of my favorite months. The weather is still awesome. You can go to the beach and football season has started. I mean, it is great. And not only that, but, you know, truth be told, Jerry, if, I, I, I kind of like that school started. It's kind of nice for parents, if you know what I mean. And you, can you guess what he said? I mean, he had no idea we were starting this this week. And then he said... Oh, Nate, I can read between the lines. But, um, ching! I told him I was going to tell you that this morning. But we are kicking off our series this morning entitled Between the Lines, where we're going to seek to recognize what else is being said beyond the literal words we read or hear. We're not going to just think about what was said, but how it was said in life and, more importantly, in the, the good book. In a way, we're going to do what we talked about at our consistory retreat just a few weeks ago and not just hear words with our ears, but also listen to the word with our hearts. We're going to listen to what God might be saying to us both by his word and by his spirit. It reminds me of an occurrence I had recently where I was having coffee with a friend who was going through a really difficult time and is going through a difficult time. And they were sharing with me uh, about how messy life gets, as you all know. And right in the kind of the poignancy of the, the conversation, somebody walked up and just haphazardly was like, hey, how are you guys doing? And you're like, oh man, not this, no, 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 no. My friend was like, yeah, doing all right. How about you? I'm like, at first I'm like, doing all right? No, you're not. Your life is a mess right now. But then I thought about it for a minute, and I remembered that most of the time when I've asked this person, how are you doing? They're quick to say, I'm doing great, thanks. How about you? It was as if the nuance of just doing all right was a clue if I were to listen with my heart and not just with my ears, that something was going on between the lines in his life. A little bit of familiarity, knowing someone, can give us that opportunity, can't it? Well, this, in this series, we're going to give you a chance to get familiar again with some familiar stories from the Old Testament. And if you are not yet familiar with them, each week before the Sunday we preach on it, there's going to be some questions, a little Bible study, if you will, that you can tear right out of your bulletin uh, and look ahead so that you might get familiar with stories like Noah and the call of Abraham, the crossing of the Red Sea, and even David and Bathsheba, to name just a few. What we're going to hope is that as we look at these familiar stories, we might read between the lines and, and discover afresh, again, maybe, what God, a little bit more of God's character, of the nature of humanity, and how we relate with God as humans. Or put more eloquently, as a, a recent pastor wrote in the newsletter, The Bell, recently, we're going to read between the lines for the timeless truths gleaned from the annals of salvation history. That's why Pastor Ross got an A in seminary and I stuck with the B's. <laughs> but we're going to begin this morning our series in the good book near the beginning with Genesis chapter 9. And these are some words that are at the conclusion of a four-chapter story of Noah and a flood, and some animals. You probably, I'm assuming that many of you know of it at least. So listen to me for the word, with me for the word of the Lord from the book that we love, Genesis chapter 9, starting at the 8th verse. Actually, before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you reveal yourself to us, and we pray that as we hear your word with our ears, your spirit might be in our hearts, stirring us to listen to way, the ways in which you might be calling us to live afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Genesis chapter 9. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal on the earth with you, as, you, as many as come out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again be covered, become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. There are few stories in all of scripture that are as marketable as Noah and the flood. You know what I mean? Because there's no nursery that's complete without some artist rendition like this one from fellowship favorite Joel Skuntanis of an ark and all the animals two by two. And if not in art, then certainly in print, right? Because every nursery has a book of, that references Noah like this a common one from the Highlights publisher. Or if not in art, or if not in book, every nursery has at least toys, right? With some animals or critters that you put on a dresser for a week and then they get strewn throughout your playroom, hypothetically. But this story uh, is not just meant for the home or the nursery. We talk about it in every single Sunday school year, just about. And every Sunday school class ends with not just the lesson, but there's tons and tons of songs about Noah, you know? Like the Lord said, JB taught me this one by the way this week. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. <laughs> but this isn't just a story for kids either. This is a story that's marketable to adults. I mean, we even, Hollywood has even gotten in on the action. I mean, talk about a movie, Evan Almighty, with laugh out loud funny starring, starring sarcasm expert Steve Carell. As an aside, I mean, come on, Hollywood, really, the best you can do to show that somebody's from like a different millennia is give them a gray and white beard and throw a tan sheet over top of them. I mean, that's the best you can do. Anyway, I digress. We know from biblical scholars that many ancient cultures had a flood story of some sort or the other. But the story from the biblical account is one, the only one that has survived with such vast marketability in our culture that permeates our culture some thousands of years later. Sure, it's common for us religious folks that know this story, but even non-religious folks know it as well. I mean, there's not a dad in the country that after a couple days of rain isn't tempted by the joke of saying, do you think, kids, we should build an ark in the backyard? It's raining so much. And I mean, how many days do you think it took Pastor Ross to send Pastor Tierra and I this meme that you can get on every iPhone anywhere? I mean, come on. The popularity, the marketability of this story comes from, yes, the characters like Noah and his family or the enormous size of the ark that apparently you can go and see in Kentucky if you want or the number of animals that cutely walked in two by two packed in with crops for a numerous month float. But with so, many, so much emphasis on the details of the story, I think we miss the central part of this story the heart of God and God's heart for humanity. Because if you look back over the four-chapter story, you nowhere do you see anything that Noah says. He says nothing in the whole story except for the very, very end, at the very end in chapter 9, after all the things have occurred. No, no opportunity to read between the, the lines of his life 
No curious response by him to God's command to build an ark when it's sunny outside. No details about how he got the animals on board or what he was thinking when he shared with his family that he's going to build an enormous ark in their backyard. Nothing. The text says nothing about Noah until the very end. We barely get a chance to wonder what was going on in his mind. Instead, we get a chance in this story to get a glimpse of the heart of God. And when we listen carefully, and when we read between the lines, we have a story that reveals God's gracious and grieving heart for humanity. But before we get to that, I feel compelled to say to you that at first glance, and maybe even after multiple glances at this story, you realize that it's pretty complicated, isn't it? It's hard not to be a little bit confused by what this story seems to reveal about God's action in this world. Looking beyond the cute little two-by-two animals that march onto the ark, beyond the preservation of Noah's family, you have a God who looks at the world, at all that he made that he said was good and very good, and regrets it. And not the kind of regret that you get when you eat a large... uh, flurry instead of a small flurry from Captain Sunday. No, this is the big kind of regret, the destructive kind of regret. Chapter 6 says, God saw the wickedness of people and how their hearts had turned only to evil all the time. And so what did God do? He sent a flood to wipe out, to destroy everyone and everything except for Noah? Really? The good and the very good of creation gone? I mean, it's easy to wonder, isn't it, how, what kind of God would do this? And for what? Why? I mean, sin didn't get removed, did it? We experience it in our daily lives. And even in the story, right after Noah is saved by this ark in the flood, he gets, plants his vineyard at his hometown, drinks too much wine, and passes out in his tent, buck naked, only to find the shame of his sons finding him. Really? That's your picture of faithfulness? What is going on? This story is a struggle, isn't it? How do we faithfully see God's heart in this while also not skimming over the trouble it causes? For some of us, and especially those that find ourselves sometimes skeptical or cynical towards the faith, some of the components of this story are very, very troubling. But isn't that true for our lives as well? Some components of our story are very, very troubling. And we're not always sure what to make of them or this story. And, and I think this story does reveal God's heart. God's heart for humanity. And what does it reveal about God's heart? First thing I think it reveals to us about God's heart is that the justice of God leads to action. God saw the wickedness of humanity, and he did something about it. God regretted humanity's turn towards violence, their pursuit of injustice, and God acted. He doesn't just stand by and watch as humans destroy one another. He's not some clockwork creator that sets the clock and then stands back with his arms crossed and watches as creation allows the most fit to survive. No, God got in the game. God acted. God did something about it. For those of us who pursue justice, who yearn for peace, who desire love between neighbors, for those of us who care about the plight of those on the margins or who care for the lives of the vulnerable, isn't this what we want? Don't we want a God that's actually going to do something? Don't we want a God, that a a deity that doesn't just sit on the sidelines and watch it but gets, gets in the game? A God who intervenes, who engages, who makes a way when there seemingly is none? We can be unsettled by the action in this story. It can be beyond our understanding. But God did do something with the wickedness of humanity. God did act. But what's maybe most important about the fact that God acted is why he acted. What was the motivation behind God's action? We don't have to read between the lines for that. God's heart behind this action is explicitly stated. His heart was grieved. 
If you look at chapter 6, verse 6, God's heart is said to be grieved. It's supposed to be de- it's said to be deeply troubled in another translation. It's pained because of what humanity has done to itself. God's heart hurts. His grief is real. And he regrets that humanity has turned on itself. Which is to say God's motivation is not anger and wrath, but soft heart that desires better. In the four-chapter story of Noah, nowhere is there a mention of God's anger, wrath, or fury. Rather, we see a God pained with grief over the waywardness of creation. You know, parenting is hard work, isn't it? Can I get an amen from any parents out there? You know, you have these little, you got these little newborns that uh, uh, are, are, are so dependent on you, and it is your job somehow to train them to become an independent adult. I've heard that parenting can be really hard physical work when they're newborns and toddlers, you know, because they'll keep you up all night. And not only that, but they'll make you get out of bed because they've pooped all over the place. And then right before company comes home, they'll open up a bag of Cheerios on the carpet and then just start stomping all over the Cheerios. And then they'll leave their little sippy cup of milk under the couch only to curdle for three weeks. And then you find out that your whole family room stinks up. Not that I have any experience with any of these things at all. But as kids grow up, the physical work becomes much more emotional in nature, doesn't it? As they become more and more independent, they're able to make up their minds. And then at one point, they're even able to transport themselves and do whatever they want. As I've talked with some of you who are parents just a few clicks ahead of where I am, I've heard the challenges of parenting adolescent and young adult children And the questions that get stirred into us. When do we lean in and do something and save and help? And when do we back away and hold out our hands and let them make their own choices? And what do we do when they veer off the paths that we wanted them to go on? And maybe more poignantly, what do we do when our kids are rebellious and totally act out against us? What I can say for sure is that in every one of these conversations, and every time I've talked to a parent about this, and they've, I've struggled with them over the waywardness of their child, that struggle is shared through tears, not tirades. They're filled with hurt for their child, their pain for what their child is going through, and a deep, deep, deep longing for them to be well. Sometimes it's tempting for us on the outside, isn't it? to get a little critical, maybe even a little judgy, and internally think, if that was my kid, I'd put him into shape. I know what I'd do. I'd tell him how to live. I'd make sure that they did the right thing. But the point is, it's not your kid. And if it was your kid, your anger would melt into grief. Creation is not going God's way. He's sad. His heart hurts. He's filled with grief. And while the repercussions of the flood are hard to think about it, the reality of God's grief, like a parent, helps a little bit, doesn't it? Scott Jose, whose pastoral words on this text were very helpful to me this week, said it this way, seeing God in the light of grief over against seeing God as a ruthless dispenser of divine fury helps to soften things quite a bit even though it doesn't remove the whole scandal of the cataclysm depicted here. At the very least, the flood reveals that God is going to do something about evil and wickedness in this world, not out of his anger and wrath, but out of his deep, deep love and grief for what has happened with creation. Our world needs a little bit more grief and sadness, doesn't it? We all yearn for a better and more prosperous and safe world, We yearn for peace and better relationships with one another. We yearn for opportunities for all to experience abundant life and safety in their neighborhoods. We yearn for justice for the oppressed and freedom for the captive. But the challenge these days is it seems like we're more motivated by our anger than our grief. We have signs with expletives towards those that think differently than us. We reduce our frustrations to name-calling or simply walking away in silence. We're planting seeds of bitterness in the next generation rather than seeds of love. 
What would it look like for our society? What would it look like for you and me to lead with our hearts rather than with our fists? What would it look like if we got in touch with our grief rather than only with our anger? The story of the flood is motivated by God's grief and it ends like so many other stories from the biblical account with God's grace. While the nature of humanity hasn't changed, and yes, Noah was a great example of that. Yes, humans are still prone to wickedness. Yes, sin still exists. Yes, we still experience the brokenness of this world, and evil has not been washed away completely. Regardless of all of that, God still makes a covenant with all of creation. As we just read in chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, Noah's family and all descendants and all living creatures are given this promise by God that never again will this happen. Never again will creation be washed away by the waters of a flood. Even though, Noah, you're going to turn your back on me, even though your descendants will do evil and wicked things in my eyes, even though you are still going to hurt one another, God promises, God commits to staying in relationship with humanity. Notice what God did not say. God did not say, I'll, send, I'll never send a flood again because I know you've learned your lesson. God did not say, I will enter into a relationship with you because now you have proven that you are worthy and will not turn your back on me. God did not say, you see what I can do now? Better not screw up or anything else. You're gonna stay under my thumb whether you like it or not. No, in grace, God promises to enter into relationship with humanity even though he knows grief and he knows he's going to experience it yet again. Grief and grace, both responses to human sin, and yet grace gets the last word. Will God stop grieving the pain of the brokenness of this world? Will God stop caring for us as we, like wayward children, run away? Will God's heart stop breaking when we fall into sin? By no means. God is not going to give up on us. God's actually going to find a way to see the brokenness of this world, the wickedness of humanity, the hurt of our sin without destroying us. God is actually going to find a way to see us as righteous and loving, not because of anything we have done, but because of something he will do. God will, millennia after Noah, find a way to destroy the power of sin in our lives, not through the destruction of creation, but through the death of his very own son. The story of Noah reveals God's heart, a heart of grief and a heart of grace as it shines like a bright arrow to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else in scripture does the magnitude of God's grace and God's grief shine brighter than in his undeserved death on the cross. There, he took on all of our unfaithfulness, all of our messiness, all the evil that our hearts are so bent towards and redeemed them in his sacrificial love for you and for me. How can we be motivated? How can we be sustained to live like with that kind of grace for one another? God gave Noah a sign, a physical sign of the rainbow to remind him and us of his covenant with us. But God also gave us another sign, the sign and seal of his love for us here at this table where we rehearse the story of Jesus Christ. There's no better place than here at this table, a place where we can come with all our griefs and encounter a God who grieves with us. There's no better place, no better sign than this table that we come with fellow brothers and sisters all in need of grace, a grace that we can't earn or deserve or pay for, but that we simply receive from God. A table where we encounter a God whose grief was expressed in the sacrifice of his very own son. A table where we encounter a God whose grace is made known to us in that same son's conquering of sin by being raised to new life so that we too might experience new life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, as Reverend Skipper said, we get to rehearse the story of God's redemption of humanity from sin and death and darkness in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This meal, this Holy Supper that we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance and of communion and of hope. We come this morning in remembrance that our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. And by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be welcomed back into friendship with the Father. We come to have communion with this same Christ who has been promised to us always, even until the end of the age. And so in the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. And in the cup of blessing which we pour, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. And lastly, we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of this feast of love, of the eternal feast that we will partake in when Christ's kingdom has fully come when with unveiled faces we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. And since by his death and his resurrection and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites all of us in one body, so are we to receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints, both present and those who have gone before. One of those is probably more present for you this morning remembrance or communion or hope. Maybe it's remembrance of Christ's sacrifice and his love in the face of our own sin and brokenness and frailty. Or maybe it's fresh communion with Christ in a life that feels depleted and exhausted and distracted. Maybe it's the shining hope that we have in Christ that all things are being made new even in the face of darkness and destruction and death and illness even as we anticipate eternity with our God. Whichever of these it is for you, remembrance or communion or hope, we invite you to find your nourishment at this table. Here at Fellowship, all who love God, who are learning to follow Christ, are welcomed to come and feast. Friends, this is indeed the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, for it is holy and right to do so. Let's join together in prayer. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give you thanks at all times and in all places, O Lord, our creator, almighty and everlasting God, for you created heaven with all its hosts and earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence but you have shown the fullness of your love by sending into this world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God, with your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven. We worship and adore your glorious name. And at the same time, most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices, and we cling to the mystery of our faith that Christ has come, Christ has died, and Christ has risen. So send your Holy Spirit on us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and may grow up in all things into him, into Christ who is our head. And as these grains have been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth and into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 
On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered together with his closest friends. And during their meal, he took the bread, and then he gave thanks for it, and then he broke it, and he gave it to each of them saying, this bread is my body, which is given for you. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup, and he said, this cup is a cup of a new testament now in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The bread which we break and the cup which we bless are to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. At Fellowship Church, we take communion by intinction, which means that our elders will come forward. They will place themselves in three stations up front, and you will come forward when you are ready. You will be given a piece of bread. You dip it in the cup and partake of the elements and return to your seats. We have a map on the screen behind me, clear as mud, but we're trying to help it flow in our sanctuary here. So if you can find your place on the map, there it is, and you'll see the flow. Basically, these two angled rows on the side are return aisles uh, and come forward in the other places. Three stations up front. There's a gluten-free station over by the cross here, which you are welcome to partake of as well. And if you'd like to stay where you are, just simply raise your hand and our roving elders will bring the elements to you. You are invited to come forward when you are ready, which means that you can take a few moments to be still and pray if you'd like, uh, and, and then come forward when you're ready. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for all things are now ready.
together and let's sing we we will feast again. Thank God that we have feasted at his table and now we are going to the lunch table. Join us, we are going to make our way through the atrium to the lines and then you can eat in the concourse area over there. You'll see tables, you'll figure it out. It's pretty obvious, but walk that way if you wanna feast with us uh, for the lunch table. My friends, as you remember the story of Noah this week and God's grief and also God's grace, may you be a people that grieve well and grace and bestow grace to those you meet. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.